Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Friends, thanks again for joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is your host, John Russin, one more time with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, we've got another guest in our studio today, Yolanda Cohen-Stith, an author, and you've been knowing Yolanda for a long time. Before we turn the mic over to her, tell us a little bit about her in advance. Well, from my perspective, John, um, I met Yolanda many years ago, probably a couple of decades now, Yolanda. But what I would share about her is that I saw in her life a simplicity, but an authenticity Genuine approach to life did not shirk from realizing that there are hard things in life that we do not need to hide from to protect God's reputation. She's no stranger to difficulty, and she's very honest about that. Uh, I think she's a perfect uh, person to share with us because she is a person who has a resolute hope in her own life, in spite of the trials and travails that uh, she has encountered. She's a gentle spirit, but a very strong lady at the same time. So Yolanda, it's a great joy to have you join us and share your story with uh, our listeners. Thank you, Frank. You're too sweet. I, I just am very blessed by you always have been. You didn't even have to invite me on this podcast. I just am one of your biggest fans, always have been. Well, Yolanda, thanks so much for joining us. So we're going to start as we usually start, and we're going to trust the Spirit to lead us through this. But can you give us a brief snapshot of, of some of your early years, how they shaped you as you entered adulthood? When did you come to know Jesus and how? So wide open questions, Go ahead and launch, ma'am, and uh, we'll follow the Spirit's lead. Okay. So I grew up in Southern California in the Los Angeles, in a suburb of Los Angeles. And I grew up Jewish. And we were what I would call conservadox. Uh, my, grandparents <laughs> were, <laughs> my grandparents were all Orthodox and my father's parents and his siblings left Baltimore where they immigrated to from Russia and moved to Los Angeles. And my two older siblings were born in Baltimore. I was born in LA. And so life there in my home was centered around life in Southern Cal, but also uh, being Jewish and our membership in our synagogue, and my mother was very active there. And so that had a lot to do with me and 
and who I became in my adult years. You know, I went to Sunday school. I had a bat mitzvah. I, I really did not, by the time I was done with, with bat mitzvah and all that, I was really done with Judaism. And I think a lot of that had to do with the hypocrisy that I saw in my home. My father was not at all interested in anything spiritual or religious. And so it, it really turned me off. But interestingly, I always had this desire to know who God was. And I, I remember once asking my mother about him and she would give me the the you know kind of the typical jewish response or i would ask her about life after death and you know you just kind of go into eternal sleep and i had lots of questions as a very curious child and still a very curious person all of that led me to really seeking out spiritual answers throughout my teen years into my early adult life. And I was not a happy person. Throughout my adolescence, I was involved with drugs and, you know, the hippie lifestyle and everything that was going on in Southern California in the late 60s and and early 70s. And and I really wanted some peace. And I, and I really wanted to find that love and acceptance and belonging, which I really didn't feel I had in my home, in my childhood home. So I came to faith. <laughs> I was living in South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, it's, a, it's kind of a long story how I got there, but uh, it was sort of a pilgrimage. Left LA and moved to Boulder, Colorado, where all the hippies were going when they left San Francisco and had a brief marriage, and, and I mean brief, and then ended up in, in Rapid City. And my roommate invited me to go to church with her on Easter Sunday. And this was in the uh, late 70s. And I was really curious. I'd never been in a church before. And I never really explored the idea of Jesus. But I had been very recently at that time challenged about him. You know, why don't Jews believe in Jesus? And I really didn't have an answer to that question. So I went with her to church and it was in that tiny little country church, a mainline denominational church, not even sure that Jesus showed up there on Sunday mornings, but he did on that Sunday morning and it was, <laughs> it was Easter. And I went down to the altar to receive communion, not knowing anything about communion or what I was doing. And I had an encounter with Christ there. And that's kind of what happened. Wow. So Yolanda, you mean nobody presented the four spiritual laws and, <laughs> and nobody called for you the sinner's prayer? It nope. was just Jesus said, here I am and I love you and I want you to be mine. Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
And I, I knelt down, I was kneeling down at that altar. I was the last one on the row and I was hysterical crying hmm. because God was speaking to my heart and I knew it was him and I had much to be forgiven for and uh, really very ashamed of myself and had the lifestyle I had been living but I gave my heart to him and received him as my Messiah that day. And that was a pivotal moment in my life. It wasn't until a couple years later that I really understood what happened to me and began a discipleship process. And when I began being discipled, I adopted a whole new religion. And so I was no longer held captive by the legalism of Judaism. Now I was held captive by the legalism of Christianity. And I kind of pursued that and became what I would have considered to be someone who tried to be the best Christian they could be. And I did that for 17 years until I was ready to commit suicide. So you basically had the same religion, but with a different name on it now. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Only the bar was raised even higher, I imagine. <laughs> well, you know, I still had the Jewish guilt to live with and dealing with the anger from family and because I became a traitor, a Mishumed, and then not totally fitting into the church because I still considered myself Jewish, but a Messianic Jew. And so it was a hard place to be. And I was still trying to live under the law because that's what I was taught. Eventually, though, you, you gave up. You mentioned suicide. Can you describe briefly what led you to that thought and what rescued you from it? Yeah. Well, I actually had a suicide attempt many years prior when I lived in Boulder, Colorado, and obviously failed attempt, but it was, it was a way of escape when the pressure got to be too much for me and I felt trapped. And, you know, of course, that's a lie. It's a lie from the evil one that I was seeking peace, but there is no peace in suicide. So when I had been a Christian for 17 years and really, truly burned out because I'm wondering where the heck the abundant life is, I'm trying to do all the right things and I'm trying in my own strength to be uh, a good Christian and to be an example and to do all the things that I believed and I was taught I needed to do. And, you know, a leader in my congregation and people looking up to me. And in the meantime, my life, my personal life is imploding. And I had a lot of things going on that I kind of feel were 
the perfect storm to bring me to a place where I couldn't do it anymore, or at least I recognized I couldn't do it anymore. And that's when I sought out help by going to Grace Ministries and ended up going through their counseling and eventually after that going through all their training and I became a staff member. That transformed my life. It probably transformed my life as much as it did when I first came to know Christ as my Messiah. It it had that great of an impact on my life. You know, Yolanda, um, as I listen to you, that's my experience, I would say, from when John shared his story. It was his experience. It's the experience of so many people. Uh, As I was listening to you, I had this thought When we came to Christ, it was a huge transformation because it pulled us away from sin. It pulled us away from uh, this incredible selfish desire to pursue my needs at the expense of others. Mm -hmm. But in the new covenant, it's not so much a pulling away Mm -hmm. as a driving to the true source of life. Mm -hmm. So it has, like you say, each experience was profound in its own way. But the one, the first one was kind of incomplete. It's almost like, you know, being Jewish, my friend, uh, it's like when God brought the Israelites out of bondage, but they hadn't yet gone into the promised land. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The missing piece of the puzzle for me, which I'm sure the two of you would concur with was I didn't know my identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. I did not know the other half of the gospel. In fact, I remember sitting in the counseling office with my counselor who happened to be not to be a name dropper or anything, but happened to be Andrew Farley's mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was sharing the cross diagrams with me. And up until that moment, and I've been a, a Christian for 17 years now, and I did not understand Easter. I did not understand the resurrection. Uh, for one thing, mostly my family up until that point, had fellowshiped in Messianic Jewish congregations. And so we celebrated the Feasts of Israel. And, um, you know, we didn't do Easter egg hunts and, you know, all of those sorts of holidays. And so, but I didn't understand what the big deal was about Easter because it was clouded by all these you know, non-biblical accoutrements. And it confused me. And having not been raised in the church, I'd never been taught until that moment when I realized that the resurrection was not just about Jesus. It was about Jesus and me. And that I rose with him 
And when that concept clicked in my head and I saw it in scripture, it's like everything came together. It just all made perfect sense. All the, the new covenant made sense. The old covenant even made sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for the first time in your life as a Jewish woman, you understood what you had been taught all those years growing up and everything your family had had labored to understand and, and labored to embrace. Wow. Yeah. Um, so did that change your interaction with your family at all? Did you get a chance to share the new revelation that father gave you or did they continue to treat you as an outcast and a traitor? Well, um, let's just say it was the elephant in the middle of the room for many years. Uh, certainly with my siblings who were both considerably older never wanted to discuss it. Uh, one is an atheist and the other one is more agnostic. They really don't have any faith in a creator. And so we never really discussed it, although they know what I believe because they've been to weddings and bar and bat mitzvahs and all of those things in my family and with my children. And so they certainly have heard uh, the gospel. So my parents felt very, very strongly about having opportunity to share truth with my parents. And my mother worked as a docent at one of the largest uh, Jewish museums in Los Angeles. She was very knowledgeable and she was smart and she was very interested and very, like myself, curious. And so I began challenging her about what the scriptures, what the Jewish scriptures said. And there came a point, I don't, I can't remember at what point, but there came a point where I challenged her to read her Bible, which would be what we call the Old Covenant, but for them, it's the Jewish Bible, and read it for herself and draw her own conclusion. And she took me up on it. So uh, over a nine-year period, every time we were together, which was typically twice a year, they'd come visit us, and then later on in the year, we would go visit them. And our visits were anywhere from a week to two weeks. And if we were out of the country, because my husband was military, it would sometimes be for a month. I would do inductive study with my mom. And I didn't lead her. Uh, we, would, we started in Genesis and we went straight through. And at the end of that nine-year period, we were at the very famous chapters in Isaiah 52 and 53. And I would always have my mother doing the reading. And then I would ask her, tell me what you just read. What did that say to you? Well, so I did that when she got to those chapters and she put her Bible down and she looked at me and she said, it's true. Mm. And I wow. said, I, right. And I said, what's true? 
And she said, Yeshua, who I would speak, you know, I would use his Hebrew name when I was with her. Yeshua is the Messiah. And I said, well, are you ready to pray and make him your Messiah? And she said, yes. And that was that. Wow. And then not long after that, my dad, at her insistence, did the same. So they're both gone now. My mom died about seven years ago. And my dad, maybe it's been, oh, I don't know, 11 or maybe 12 years now. I have a piece about where they're at. Wow, what an incredible story. Mm-hmm. I'm just crying. I'm just weeping, listening to listening to, to your account of just how they came to see their Savior. Finally, after all these years, what a thrill. Yeah, they just needed to be open to what the scriptures say. It's right there. I remember as a brand new believer, and I started reading the Old Covenant, I would read. I mean, I devoured it every day. I had my nose in the Bible and I would read and I would sit there and say, how could the rabbis read these scriptures and not know the truth? It's Mm -hmm. so obvious. And, um, you know, and the fact of the matter is, is, is it's, they were under and are under a spiritual blindness And I just think that God gave me one of the greatest gifts, and that is my parents' salvation. You know, Yolanda, it's interesting, but, you know, as a seminary student, I had to do so much research in so many different arenas, and I found myself going to the Jewish Encyclopedia. And it's really fascinating, but if you get older versions of the Jewish Encyclopedia and look at Isaiah 53, those older versions will say this is a passage of the suffering Messiah of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, when Jews for Jesus and, uh, you know, Israel, my glory and all those different organizations came about in the 60s and 70s with this push to reach the Jewish people, yeah. the new versions of the Jewish Encyclopedia say that Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the suffering nation of Israel. Right. They Which have changed it. Then, yeah, it doesn't make sense because of the pronouns no. in the nope. in the uh, scriptures. So, yep. yeah, it was a deliberate attempt to take the focus off of the obvious. Yeah, but one thing one thing that really spoke to my mom is when I told her that of all the passages in the old covenant, both in the patriarchs and the prophets, you know, straight through of all the chapters that are read on Saturday morning in synagogue, Isaiah 52 and 53 are omitted. Mm. I said, "Isn't, isn't that curious, mom? Why would they do that? Well, that just really bugged her. It bugged her as much as it bugged me way back when. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Yolanda, as our, our time is moving on, I, I would like to ask you a personal question, if that's okay. Um, we talk about your changes with your family. What were some of your personal 
uh, changes as you found Christ as life? Were there any major aha moments? Or uh, what about encountering some of the difficulties that were down the road for you and how you were able to make it through those? Any, any one of those or all of them, if you could just take a few minutes. Sure. Yeah, I, as I write about in my book, Valley Life, I went through some very difficult challenges about a 10 year, which has really turned into more of a 15 year difficult walk with my adults, now adult son. And that included a criminal lifestyle, drugs, and incarceration. It was heartbreaking. It was really, uh, for about 10 years, relentless. And, and at the end of that period, he uh, decided to, on his own, he decided to go to an inpatient treatment facility out of state, which we offered to pay if he ever wanted to do that and change his life. And, and while he was there in the second month that he was there, my late husband, Ken, was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. And that moment, my life went from, you know, light to dark. And I thought if somebody asked me, what is the worst thing that could ever happen to you? I would have to say losing Ken. And the way I lost him, it was horrific. And aside from my two kids and a few close friends, I had to do it by myself. And we were heavily, heavily in debt from trying to help our son over that 10 year period that, you know, I couldn't afford to pay for help. So uh, all the things that I walked through subsequently, years of infertility, miscarriage, the years, uh, Ben's prodigal years, all of that God used to give me a hope and to strengthen my faith to the degree that the worst possible thing could not destroy me, that I could uh, transcend even what I thought would be the worst possible thing. So that when my husband died and I was left alone, as painful as it was, I was able to get up and go to work and share God's truth with undying conviction that his grace works, that it is enough, that he is there, and that his life will see us through even the darkest valleys that we walk through. And he did. He absolutely did for me. Uh, it didn't happen quickly. I mean, I still grieved. I still had to go through that process of healing and growing through that painful valley. But it wasn't 
me, it was Christ in me doing it. And I can, I just know that everything that I walked through prior to that event prepared me for that day. I didn't know what was coming. This man was in perfect health and I had absolutely no clue that at 67 years old, he was going to die. Wow. For our listeners, uh, please hear the faith in Yolanda's voice in her heart. She clung to her savior with her very fingertips because that's all she had. And he came through for her. And so if you find yourself in a situation that kind of looks like hers, uh, please reach out to the only one who can help you. Reach out to Jesus. Uh, he will be there. He will bolster. He will enable you to exchange your strength, which is not enough, for his, which is more than enough. And you've seen that testimony in Yolanda this morning, this afternoon. Thank you so much, ma'am. That was absolutely inspiring and beautiful. Wow. What a story. Well, the glory goes to God, I have to say, because if somebody had said to me 10 years ago that I would walk through that and, and this would be the end result, I would have said, no way. There's no way because those 10 years that my son was doing drugs and dealing and all over the country, living like just... <laughs> Kind of like he made my hippie days look pretty innocent. There wasn't a week that went by that I wanted to take my life. I just watching it and fear of him overdosing or somebody putting a bullet in his head. I lived with that every day. And I was on my knees daily throughout the day, praying without ceasing. And God heard my prayers. That's not to say that it, it necessarily turns out the way we want, but in my case, it did. And whether Ken was a trade-off or not, I mean, I, I don't even go there. It was ordained before the beginning of time that that's when he would go to the Father. And, and so I wasn't angry with God. I didn't blame God, and I was able to accept the reality that death is a natural part of life, and that was his time. Now, it wasn't necessarily that way for my kids. My son is still working through the, his loss, and the 10 years he lost with his dad because of how he was living. And he's doing some counseling now. And so my daughter's doing much better. So it's different for everybody. But I have to say that the relationship I have with Jesus has a lot to do with where he's taken me in my life and the experiences I've had and what I've learned about this God we have. Wow. So Psalm 23 in the valley of the shadow of death is a real experience for you because you've walked it, you've lived it, mm -hmm. you know you're never alone, and you've come out the other side. And ma'am, you've written a book, you've got a ministry. Uh, it's obviously 
been a miraculous resurrection, so to speak, from conditions of your life as close to death as you can get. And now you're here where you are. Thank you, Jesus, for that miracle. Tell us about what he has now inspired you to do, what he has led you to write and to minister. Tell us a little bit about what's next for, for you. Well, I'm not really sure what's next. Um, he, you know, he's funny about that. He doesn't really tell. But for the last 25 years, I've been counseling and training men and women to come to know Christ as their life. Eight years ago, Ken and I started New Heart Living, which is a counseling and training ministry within the Network 220. And after Ken went to be with the Lord, God's just really, he's blessed me with some staff members and we do all of our counseling and training online. And we've been doing that several years before COVID. So it's been great. And after Ken died, I don't know how many years it was, a couple years later, I started writing and just mostly wrote because, well, two reasons. I, I started writing because it was cathartic for me and helped me uh, process my grief. And the other reason for writing was because I wanted people to have the hope that they can have knowing that you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and the operative word is through and that that valley of the shadow of death does not have to be the end of the story. Amen. And, right. And so um, it was there in the valleys of my life that I experienced the power, the resurrection, the healing the presence of Christ greater than on the mountaintops. And so uh, I wanted others to know that. Uh, I wanted them to not fear the valleys, but to embrace God in them and allow him to use them. So, uh, so yes, yeah. so uh, I ended up with a book called Valley Life, Finding God in the Midst of Your Pain. Great title, great story. Frank, any last comments, questions for Yolanda before we begin to wrap this up? You know, I think Yolanda, as I've ministered to hurting people over the years, there is a heart cry uh, that goes out. That is there anyone who understands? Is there anyone who hears my cry? Is there anyone who would step into the arena and fight for the likes of me? And as I listen to you, I'm hearing you as one who will say, I've heard your cry. I get it. I've been there myself. And I will step into your situation but I'll bring with you the one who can bring you through it. And it's just such a joy to know that uh, you are have not wasted your sorrows, but put them in the hands of the one who can use them 
to bring life to others. And, you know, you can't have a resurrection without a death. And those death experiences bring us to the resurrection life. And it's a joy to know that you're out there answering those cries of hurting people. It's a pleasure to know you and to uh, give you your opportunity today to share your story. Thank Amen. you. I have one more question for you. Okay. And this is the, the, our standard wrap-up question. What is the supreme revelation that you would like to share with our listeners today? If you can tell them one thing, what would it be? Well, I've probably already said it. I would have to say that no matter what one encounters in this world, no matter what the loss is, no matter how great the pain is, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who have uh, endured much more pain than I have in my life. Frank, for one. I mean, I've heard his story, I've read his books, I have been in awe, I've prayed for him and his family, what they've had to walk through, and the love of God in him and through him is inspiring. It's inspired me. And so I think the revelation that echoes in my heart and through my ministry is that whatever you encounter in this world, Jesus is enough. He is enough. Um, wherever you go, whatever happens, if you will choose him as your source, I promise you without any doubt whatsoever, he will be enough. He is your hope. He is my hope. And he is our hope. And without him, we're in bad shape. <laughs> we're, you know, we're in bad shape. I, I tried living the Christian life through my own strength by being the best Christian that I could be. And the best Christian that I could be was not good enough. And uh, Jesus alone is the only one that can be life for you. And sadly, it took me 17 years to find that out. But that, too, was probably part of God's plan. And so no regrets. Um, I am just utterly grateful for what he's done in my life. And not that I would choose to walk through some of the things I've walked through, but I am grateful for what they've produced in my life. Amen. Well said. Thank you, Yolanda. What a blessing it's been to hear your story and to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in and through you to minister life to others. So thank you. And friends, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Please check us out on our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Follow us on our different social media platforms. And once again, we remind you today, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. 
and you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.